Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to the fourth annual Monday Match Analysis Awards. I'm your host, Gil Gross. It is a time to reflect, to pay homage to the things we so enjoyed about the 2022 ATP season, playing tribute to the great players, great shots, great storylines, great matches that we had the privilege of witnessing last year. It is a show about storytelling. It is a very special occasion. It is an occasion so special that I get dressed up for. With that, let us begin our awards, beginning with best shot. The Monday Match Analysis Award goes to J.J. Wolf for his left-handed passing shot against Stefano Tsitsipas in Miami. J.J. Wolf being a righty, hitting a lefty forehand passing shot against Tsitsipas that was as pure as can be. Uh, Rafael Nadal-esque from J.J. Wolf, open stance, sliding lefty forehand passing shot. You know my rules for picking shot of the year? No hot dogs, no lucky shots. I'm looking for uniqueness. I'm looking for that X factor, a rare attempt, something you don't see often. That is where this shot really excels. I have seen players, right-handed players, take you know their their right hand off the racket and hit lefty forehands. Usually, you know Maria Sharapova used to do it a lot. Usually, it comes off as a weak defensive lob, a desperation dink, not a bullet in the corner. Best shot of the year, usually a winner. This was an emphatic winner. Tsitsipas couldn't really even move for it. Shot of the year is usually a great get. This was a pretty good get. Not really the point of this shot. Not what made this shot so great. Another thing I really love about this shot is that it has a good backstory. Sebastian Corda was asked about it. He practices with Wolf all the time. Corda said he does this in practice regularly. And then they asked J.J. Wolf about this shot, and J.J. had an explanation for why he's able to pull this off with such ease, with such comfort. And the reason is that he broke his wrist playing soccer when he was a child and spent an entire summer playing lefty. And that is where he developed that lefty forehand. To this day, when J.J. Wolf is warming up, he hits a couple of lefty forehands to get that left wrist loose, to get it going. So it is no coincidence that JJ was able to pull this off. And just to put a cherry on top of the backstory here, both of Jeffrey John Wolf's parents are lefties. This shot was not a coincidence. This shot was not lucky. This was just an incredible display of skill that I think is oh so deserving of the shot of the year. A couple of honorable mentions. One goes to Carlos Alcaraz for his behind-the-back shot at the U.S. Open against Yannick Sinner. This probably would have been shot of the year had it been a winner, but uh, it was not a clean passing shot. He had to follow it up and hit a backhand pass on the uh, on the next shot, but incredible shot by Alcaraz. Uh, Rafael Nadal's passing shot against Alexander Zverev in the tiebreak uh, to wrap up the, the, uh, the set at Roland Garros. 
that was a tremendous passing shot. However, I feel like the situation, more than anything, really elevated that shot. I've seen Nadal do it before. The uniqueness just wasn't quite there enough, although it was a scintillating shot. And then uh, the last honorable mention goes to Pablo Carreño Busta for a shot that he had at at the Australian Open that was just so quirky and so heads up where he actually ran around the net post to his opponent's side of the court in order to finish off a shot that uh, bounced onto his opponent's side of the court. So heads-up play by Karina Busta there, something you rarely, if ever, have seen. And PCB deserves big shouts for that one. Our next category is Story of the Year. Off-court Story of the Year. And this is something that punctures the tennis bubble, something that gets the attention of not just the tennis world, but the world at large. And in 2022, that is the farewell of Serena Williams and Roger Federer, two absolute legends, calling it a career in 2022. And I think one of the great things about what we saw here is that both of these legends got send-offs that were not only memorable, but send-offs that we can feel good about as fans. Serena was honored after beating Donka Kovnic at the U.S. Open in front of the most electric tennis crowd at Arthur Ashe Stadium you will ever see. And I liked that the tribute of Serena Williams came after a win. So she could fully appreciate it. Whereas most of the time, tennis players are celebrated for the final time after a loss because most players at that point in their career are not winning any tournaments. I thought the USTA did a great job. They did the occasion justice with Gail King presenting a video tribute from Oprah, the presence of Billie Jean King. It felt larger than tennis. And if there's anything that's appropriate for Serena, it's a ceremony that feels larger than tennis. Roger Federer's farewell was also a dream scenario because he was surrounded by the rivals that made his career so special. And the emotion, not just from Roger, but from those rivals, particularly Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, it was moving. Federer's words were unbelievably uplifting. And for what was on paper a very difficult end to Roger Federer's career, I felt his words would give his fans around the world a little bit of solace, a little bit of good feelings that uh, it did end in a good place. And um, we should be smiling because it happened, not crying because it's over. Not to mention that Roger's ending at the Laver Cup seemed like a fitting transition to Federer's entrepreneurial life, considering the fact that the Laver Cup in itself is one of Federer's creative inventions and his creative properties with his very own agency, Teammate. So a no-brainer to me that the story of the year in 2022 is the retirement of Serena Williams and Roger Federer. But when I did pose the question on Twitter, at Gil underscore Gross is my Twitter, when I asked you guys what you thought the award should be, I actually got a a different answer. More often than not, most of you said, and this is an honorable mention, uh, Djokovic. Djokovic in Australian immigration crosshairs. And the reason I did not go with Novak being uh, stuck in the mess in Australia in January is because I like this award to go to a story that has some positive feelings associated with it. You look at the last two years, and that's not to say that it is always a positive story, but usually you can take some positive out of it. Australian bushfires won in 2020 when the Australian Open and Tennis Australia raised an incredible sum of money to support the the bushfires that were ravishing Australia at the time. In 2021, it was the disappearance of Peng Shui and not 
that in itself, but the way the tennis world rallied around that topic and took real action to attempt to pressure China to give the desired outcome in Peng Shui's case. The story of the year should have at least a semblance of feel-good aspects to it. Another honorable mention goes to uh, Wimbledon banning Russians, ATP taking points away. This is another story that I sincerely wish never happened. And uh, although it was significant, I just don't feel like it fits the story of the year in terms of what I'm looking for here. The next award is the Comeback Player of the Year. And the award goes to Borna Chorich. Here's the story with uh, Borna Chorich. He spent a year off tour because of uh, a right shoulder injury. Stopped playing in March of 2021. Had the surgery in May. And returned at Indian Wells this year. This was not a comeback story that was successful from the start that was easy from the start. In fact, it was very hard. There were some results in the beginning that were moral victories. He lost three setters to Yannick Sinner and Alexander Zverev in his first couple weeks back, but ultimately, Borna Chorich lost six of his first seven matches of the season. His ranking was going the wrong direction, and things were getting rather desperate, as in June, his ranking was down to 255 in the world. And by the time Cincinnati rolled around, Chorich was still outside the top 100. And he was on his ninth protected ranking. He wasn't really getting wild cards. And maybe he would have had he run out of protected rankings, but you get 12 of them. And Chorich was on his ninth. And he was ranked 152 in the world. Things were starting to look a little bit bleak. Second round, Cincinnati beats Rafael Nadal. Follows it up with four additional top 20 wins to capture the title. He launches up the rankings in one fell swoop to number 29 in the world. He's seeded for the U.S. Open. Maiden Masters 1000 title. Biggest triumph of his career. Nothing he did post-Cincinnati was particularly earth-shattering. But with that run alone, he set himself up rankings-wise to play every big event in 2023, recover his ranking, very little points to defend. And, technically speaking, there are some positive things to look at. I mean, his serve is even bigger than it was before the injury. So, Chorish getting back to his career high of number 12, a mark he reached in 2018, it wouldn't be a shock next year. He's really set himself up nicely with a very successful comeback in 2022. There were other, uh, there were no real other contenders to win this, to be honest. Easily goes to Chorich. But, uh, a shout-out to Dominic Team and Stan Vavrinka. They're nominated this year, but frankly, both of their comebacks are still in progress, much less complete. Neither of them have really reached the heights that I'm sure they desire to reach. They are uh, nowhere near the level that they were at pre-injuries in either of their cases. Wu Yi Bing would certainly be the challenger level equivalent of comeback player of the year. He did have a big year on the challenger tour coming back from injuries, but didn't do enough at tour level to challenge Borna Chorich. So uh, very much deserving, very much running away with the 2022 Monday Match Analysis Award for comeback player of the year, Borna Chorich. Best comeback in a single match goes unequivocally to Rafael Nadal in the Australian Open final against Daniil Medvedev he comes back from down two sets to love to win the Australian Open and win his 21st major. This was one of the most memorable matches of the year. One of the greatest comebacks I have ever seen. And just reliving this is a pleasure in itself. So Medvedev went up two sets to love, right? 
He was neutralizing Nadal's serve with ease. He was going into lockdown mode, embracing the lengthy rallies where he looked physically like the much, much stronger player. Through the first two sets and rallies over nine shots, Nadal made 17 unforced errors. Medvedev made four. And at this point, there were so many reasons to believe that Nadal had no chance. And for Nadal, there were so many reasons to just lose belief and frankly give up. He was down to love. He had lost his last four Australian Open finals. He had come into the season a little bit underprepared off of a six-month injury layoff. He got COVID in the weeks leading up to the event. And Medvedev had shown at the previous major, the U.S. Open, that he would be more than ready to steal victory. At 2-3 in the third set, Nadal faced triple break point. Love 40. He saved them all. He held his serve. And from there, the match changed. Medvedev weakened physically. Nadal got stronger. It was a seismic shift. You could see it. You could feel it. It was palpable. Points got shorter as Medvedev tried to fend off cramps. Temperatures dropped. The crowd got fully behind Nadal. The comeback was on. Nadal forced a fifth. And by the time Medvedev raised his level again, it was too late. Rafa's skill set displayed superiority in a brilliant fifth set that he won seven games to five. For Rafa, his 21st major may have been his most unexpected. It was a quintessential display of effort, willpower, willingness to suffer. Maybe one of the great comebacks of all time. It was just the seventh time in the open era that a player has come back from two sets to love down in a major championship match. On Monday Match Analysis, I called it a symphony of willpower and technical mastery. This is a slam dunk. This is a slam dunk. No need for any honorable mentions. Nadal at the Australian Open. Best comeback in 2022. Our next award is for Most Improved Player. And this one goes to the year-end number one. Carlos Alcaraz. Coming into 2022, it was clear that Carlos Alcaraz was a top prospect. He won two titles in 2021, including the next-gen finals in Milan. He made the U.S. Open quarterfinals. He finished the year number 32 in the world. But we've seen this time and time again. The closer players get to the top of the sport, the harder it becomes to make upward progress. In other words, jumping from number 40 to number 20 in the world rankings is infinitely easier than jumping from number 20 to number 1. Alcaraz made that jump, that 20 to number 1 jump, as quickly as you'll ever see. Let's face it, we've seen so many young players recently get stuck at that tier 2 level. Break through to the top 10. And begin to kind of run in place. Not quite able to crack through. Alcaraz blew through the yield sign. He was playing at a tier 1 elite level before anyone could have predicted it. He really tore up the first half of the year. Four titles. Rio, Miami, Barcelona, Madrid. His only losses in that long stretch of time from the Sunshine Double to Roland Garros was an epic with Nadal and a fatigue loss to Corda in some nasty wind in Monte Carlo. In the second half of the year, he was also very, very good. Uh, but heading into the U.S. Open, you could poke some holes in his resume, particularly his performance in majors, where he lost all three of his matches against top 20 opponents. Berrettini at the Australian Open, at Roland Garros, Alexander Zverev, at Wimbledon, Yannick Sinner. He emphatically put those concerns to rest at the U.S. Open, winning his first major title. In doing so, becoming world number one, the youngest ever to do that. To me, that feat was just confirmation of everything I felt all year, that Alcaraz's ascendancy 
was history unfolding before our eyes. It was a player who went from good to great in such a short period of time, we could barely process it. And I still think the coolest thing about Carlos Alcaraz's season was just how much fun so many tennis fans were having watching it happen, particularly in the first half of the season. We had Carlos Alcaraz making a leap that we thought could happen eventually, but none of us could have really predicted how quickly and how violently that rise occurred. Very much deserving Carlos Alcaraz, your 2022 Monday Match Analysis Award for Most Improved Player. Our next award is Newcomer of the Year, and it goes to none other than Holger Runa. Newcomer of the Year to the Danish teenager Holger Runa. In 2021, Runa won four titles on the Challenger Tour, but it just wasn't clicking at ATP level. And this was especially frustrating because so many of his ATP main draw disappointments were aided by wild cards. In 2022, he proved every tournament director who gave him a wild card correct. Every event who cozied up to Runa looks smart now especially the powers that be at the Munich 250. They gave Runa a wild card in April. He beat Alexander Zverev in the second round and won the title without dropping a set. He demolished everyone. And that set the stage for his Roland Garros run, where he upset the defending runner-up Stefano Tsitsipas to make the quarterfinals. In the second half of the season, Runa went from deep slump to red hot. In his last four tournaments of the year, he made all four finals and came away with two titles, none bigger than the Paris Masters, a run that was just sensational. He beat five top 10 players, Alcaraz in the semis, Djokovic in the final from down a set and a break, and that secured his top 10 debut as a 19-year-old. I want to point out something. If you look at the last two winners of this Monday Match Analysis Award for Newcomer of the Year, Carlos Alcaraz last year, Yannick Sinner the year prior, good company, and Runa is the only guy this year that fits the bill. I'll give one honorable mention. It's Jack Draper, 19-14 and 14 record. First kind of half season at tour level. Some impressive wins. Stefano Tsitsipas in Canada. Felix Ojealiasim at the U.S. Open. But it pales in comparison to what Holger Runa did. And he is a slam dunk for Newcomer of the Year in 2022. Our next award is for Best Tournament Run. And we have our first repeat winner. Carlos Alcaraz takes it. For his run to the title in Madrid. Although the most improved award is yearly. It's a yearly award. What Carlos Alcaraz did in Madrid this year. Is maybe an even better illustration. Of just how mind blowing his improvement was. In 2021 he took a wild card into the Mutua Madrid Open. He lost 6-1-6-2 to Nadal on his 18th birthday. It felt like Carlos's present on this occasion was to share the court with Nadal, not compete with him. And the match felt like a showcase exhibition for a raw yet promising prospect for the future of Spanish tennis. Just one year later, in the same stadium, Alcaraz took him down in the quarterfinals. It was Nadal's second loss of the season. It might be the only match Nadal lost all year, looking 100% healthy until the indoor hardcourt season. The next day, Alcaraz had to play Novak Djokovic, who was finally starting to look like himself. And they played one of the best three-set matches of the year. Three hours, 35 minutes. Alcaraz became the first player ever to beat Nadal and Djokovic in the same clay court event. The youngest player ever 
to hold wins over Nadal and Djokovic. The youngest player to defeat a world number one, which Novak Djokovic was at the time, in 17 years. That just got him to the final. Who did he have to play in the final? Alexander Zverev. The world number three. Madrid is his best tournament. He came into that final with a 19-2 Madrid record. He was defending champion. Alcaraz beat the brakes off of him. 6-3-6-1. The final was partially tainted by tough scheduling for Zverev. He played late last night before the final on the Saturday. Uh, but the feeling was that no player in the world was going to beat Carlitos that week. That no player in the world, even Zverev at his best, was going to be able to play with him in that final. This was incredible. Novak and Rafa were still the toughest players to beat on tour this year when they were in form. Djokovic won Rome the very next week. Nadal won Roland Garros. And Zverev very well could have if he kept up his level in that semifinal without that catastrophic injury. Alcaraz beat them all in three days. And I'm leaving out Cam Nori, a top 10 player, who Alcaraz beat in the round prior because it seems besides the point. This is run of the year. And on Twitter, I was surprised to see a lot of responses going with other options. I always think there's some recency bias to the second half of the year. Always feel that way. But there are some good honorable mentions here. Carlos Alcaraz. Um, at the U.S. Open, he set the record for time on court during that run. And physically, it was probably the most incredible run I've ever seen in my life. So there was a lot of special sauce to that U.S. Open run. There's no doubt about it. That could have won. I still think the Madrid thing was more impressive and more captivating in terms of this award. Uh, Holger Runa in Paris, that was a gauntlet. He beat Hubert Hurkacz, Andre Rublev, Alcaraz, Felix Sergei Aliasim, and Djokovic. Chorich in Cincinnati, he beat five top 20 players. His run was Nadal, Bautista Agut, FAA, Cam Nori, and Stefanos Tsitsipas. That was a great run. Those are your honorable mentions. But to me, Madrid, Carlos Alcaraz, that is the 2022 Monday Match Analysis Award for Best Tournament Run. We roll on to Best Upset. Usually this goes to a singular match. Nothing was speaking to me. So I gave it to a run. I gave it to a series of matches. I gave it to the Dutchman. Tim von Reithoven wins the title in her Togenbosch. This was unbelievable. This was everything that makes upsets great. This man was seven years into his professional career. 25 years old, never won an ATP main draw match, ranked 205 in the world. He got a wild card because he was Dutch, Hertogenbosch, that's in Holland. He ended up beating the top three seeds in the draw. This was not an example of draw opens up for the lower-ranked player who goes on a miracle run. No, he, he played the top three seeds. He beat them all. He beat Taylor Fritz in the second round. He beat FAA in the semis. He beat soon-to-be world number one, Daniil Medvedev, in the final. Just to underscore how out of nowhere this was, Daniil Medvedev said after the match that he remembered... Tim von Reithoven from juniors. That essentially means that Daniil hadn't thought about the guy in over five years. And then next thing you know, he was losing in straight sets to him in a final. This was the wildest underdog story of the year. And it was so impressive. 
and everything that makes those those 250 weeks um potentially so special uh because to Tim von Reichhoven it didn't get much bigger than this and uh we'll see it may never get bigger than that honorable mentions Daniel Galan beat Tsitsipas at the US Open in the most surprising early round upset of a top seed at a slam. And oftentimes, this is how this award goes. Usually, it's a top seed at a major who gets stunned. I was at that Galan Tsitsipas match, at least portions of it, and I just couldn't make it upset of the year. Why? Nobody really cared. It wasn't a good match, and Serena was playing. And there were a lot of upsets that day. It was kind of crazy. It wasn't even on Ash. It just didn't feel big. Was it shocking? Stunning? Gobsmacking? Yeah. But uh, was it memorable? Fun? Interesting? Not really. Not really. I was at the match. It, it just it, it didn't have much juice. Uh, Hugo Gaston beating Stan Wawrinka. He won it in 2020. That match at center court, Chatrier, crazy crowd. Drop shots galore. That's what I'm talking about. Last year, Alcaraz defeats Tsitsipas. Third round, U.S. Open. Packed Ash. Five sets. Tie break. That's what I'm talking about. Galan over Tsitsipas? No. Uh, Tiafo beat Nadal in a very memorable match that, that did capture the attention of the world. But those who were carefully monitoring both players and their form, they could have seen this one coming. It just wasn't shocking enough to be upset of the year. That's why this goes to Von Reithoven in her Token Bosch. But a shout out to those other two results. Our next award is Best Performance. Best Single Match Performance. And it goes to Novak Djokovic for his takedown of Nick Kyrgios in the Wimbledon Final. This award is essentially the most impressive and highest level of tennis that was achieved all year. It was the the single match performance that was most impressive. And uh, I believe that was this win, Djokovic over Kyrgios in this Wimbledon final. First of all, uh, the pressure on Novak was enormous, and I don't think that should be understated. Djokovic knew that if he lost... He'd probably go without a slam in 2022. Lo and behold, he wasn't able to play the U.S. Open, so he would have gone slamless in 2022 had he lost this match. Nick's serving was terrifyingly good, and he clearly got himself in good enough physical shape, the physical shape necessary to arrive at the final with his body intact. And I thought Nick played a great match. And that was lost on some people. Because of his antics in between the points, yelling at his box, you know, the histrionics. A lot of people, I think, were watching the match and unfortunately were like, oh, Nick's losing it. Nick's, Nick's out of his mind. Nick's going crazy. Nick's losing focus. But I was just watching... I, I was taking note of that. There's no doubt about that. But I was watching the tennis. Nick was playing well. Nick was playing well. And for the final three sets of the match, Djokovic is returning. Once again, conquered an S-tier serve on a quick surface. Like none other. Like no other return of serve can do. The play by Novak from the baseline was absolutely perfect. The control on the backhand from sideline to sideline, along with his mixing of drive, slice, and drop shots, was deadly. The forehand was flat and penetrating, making Nick's, in comparison, look slow and spinny. And for the quality that Djokovic was playing with off the ground, it was damn near unfair how few errors were coming off of his racket. I'll admit, this category 
wasn't as obvious as it's been in past years. It was a little bit more subjective this year, perhaps. But I'm looking for a few things here. A big high-stakes match. A supreme level of tennis from start to finish, leaving the outcome of victory in no doubt against an elite opponent whose level was threatening. And this Wimbledon final by Djokovic checks all those boxes and was flat out the most impressive performance I saw this year. Honorable mention. Funny enough, the last two years, it's gone to Roland Garros matches between Nadal and Djokovic. In 2020, Nadal's win, straight sets over Djokovic in the final. In 2021, Djokovic's win, four sets over Nadal in the semis. And this year, that match, it gets an honorable mention. Um, it was a huge match. It was definitely one-sided for Nadal in terms of the outcome not being really in doubt. Um, you know, he didn't come close to losing the match. Uh, but I think Djokovic has performed better. Um, a lot better. And I think Nadal has had better performances. One of them was two years ago when he won this award. So, uh, to me... This Roland Garros quarterfinal, this occasion, it didn't quite do it for me. You know, I thought Nadal played, obviously, a, a really, really great match, but uh, not. I wasn't, I wasn't left quite as impressed as I was uh, with Djokovic's performance against Kyrgios at Wimbledon. Let us move on to our penultimate award. It is match of the year. And I am so honored to say the 2022 Monday Match Analysis Award for Match of the Year goes to the U.S. Open quarterfinal between Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner. A match I was at. A match I was at. Which is crazy. Um, definitely the best match I've ever witnessed. Let's start here. A classic match should have a great backstory. This match had that, with Kyrgios losing to Hachinov the night before in the top half, and Nadal losing to Tiafo on the bottom half of the draw. Alcaraz and Sinner were co-favorites to win this U.S. Open. Engaged fans knew how important this match was, and Sinner, of course, had beaten Alcaraz in two straight matches without dropping serve, mind you. First time was at Wimbledon. Second was in the final of Umag. In both matches, Sinner was considerably more clutch than Alcaraz, had a cleaner, simplified approach, advantages in the serve-return dynamic. Would Yannick retain that advantage? Well, both players, here was another storyline, had played five setters in the previous round. Alcaraz, late at night, over Chilich on Ash, Sinner in a dead environment on Armstrong. Over Avashka, he was very upset with his performance. He felt that he should have been off the court far more quickly than he was, but he had to go five sets against Avashka, and that set up this meeting. The points in the first set were scintillating. It was clear that this had a lot of potential to be a classic, but without tons of drama. Alcaraz took the opening frame. In the second set, Carlitos looked poised to go up two sets to love. He had triple set point at 5-6, love 40 in the second set. And this 5-6 game would turn into one of the most memorable games of the season. Sinner hit three unreturnable serves to get the game to deuce. He worked to game point. To force a tie break. And on game point, Alcaraz hit the greatest shot I've ever seen in person. It was an honorable mention for shot of the year. Behind the back passing shot. Back to Deuce. He earns himself another set point. And on this set point, he has a forehand. Mid-court. Wide open court. All he has to do is make it. Sinner is guessing the wrong direction. Alcaraz misses the forehand. And we play on. And Sinner forces the tie break. 
It's an extremely high-quality tiebreak, as good as you'll ever see. Yannick won it on a backhand down-the-line return winner. Yannick won it. We go to a third set. It's just as tense as the second. You thought surely the winner of this set was going to win the match. It was too late at night. It was too physical. Surely the winner of this third set was going to win the match. It goes to another tie break. And Sinner runs away with it. Seven love. The fourth set. The energy was decidedly in Sinner's camp. There was a gloomy feeling for Alcaraz, but he stayed in it. He kept fighting. Sinner was clearly making his push to wrap it up. And he earned a break of serve to serve for the match. He saved a break point with a big first serve and arrived at match point. Yannick Sinner, match point. This time, though, he missed his first serve. And defending behind his second serve, he missed a backhand cross-court wide. Then, at deuce, he double-faulted. And then, he missed a forehand drive volley. He blinked. He had a chance to close it. He couldn't get it done. Alcaraz rode that wave of energy and won the fourth set 7-5. In the fifth set, Sinner regrouped. He went up a break 3-2. He had 40-15 to consolidate, to go up 4-2. But Alcaraz came back, broke serve to level the match at three games all. In Sinner's next service game, he had multiple game points. Once again, he squandered them. Alcaraz broke again. He served for the match. And he did so with the confidence that Sinner could not. On match point, he served a body serve ace. Absolutely epic. This was a rare thing. You had two elite players playing their best at the same time for hours and hours on end. And you could never quite tell who had the upper hand. You could show someone highlights of this match and black out the score so they couldn't see the score. And they would tell you, wow, that was a great match, wasn't it? You could show someone the live scoring, not let them see any of the tennis itself, and they could tell you, wow, that was a great match, wasn't it? It had everything. It had drama. It had quality. And to me, it was match of the year. Honorable mention goes to a match we've already honored. Nadal defeating Medvedev in the Australian Open final. Look, this match was dramatic. It was fascinating. But not until the fifth set were both players really performing at the highest level they're capable of at the same time. Finally, we arrive at Player of the Year. I am pleased to announce that the 2022 Monday Match Analysis Award for Player of the Year goes to one Rafael Nadal. For this award, I'm going to approach it a little bit differently because there were two Great contenders for player of the year. And I want to go through them before I get to Rafa. An honorable mention goes first to Novak Djokovic. He was the most consistent winner on tour. He won five titles in 11 events played. And that was after a very slow start due to rust and lack of fitness. He won four of his last five events. And... The one event he didn't win, he made the final, Paris Masters. His win percentage for the year was the best on tour, 87%, about four and a half points higher than Nadal, who came in second place. And it really felt like the biggest drawback for Novak was that he was nearly a non-factor in the first half of the season because of vaccination requirements. Other than that, Djokovic, for the most part, looked like the best player in the world for large periods of time, especially in the second half 
and when he was able to play. The winning clip, the 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 rate at which he won was the best on tour. You can't take that away from him. Honorable mention goes to Carlos Alcaraz. He finished world number one. He finished with the most total prize money. He was the guy who had the most complete season. Djokovic didn't. We went over that. Nadal didn't. We'll talk about that in a moment. Alcaraz, except for missing the ATP finals with the abdominal injury, he had a pretty complete season. So at least he had that. But also, if every match were equal, he actually had the best season. If we didn't care about majors more than we did masters, more than we did 1,000s, more than we did 500s, and so on, Carlos Alcaraz had the best season. He had more wins than the other two. He went 55-12. and 12. 14 more wins than Djokovic, 16 more wins than Nadal. The second most wins on tour behind Tsitsipas, but Alcaraz's win percentage was 10 points higher than Tsitsipas's. So he simply had the best match record, and he finished year-end number one, suggesting that with the mathematical weighting of each tournament and its importance, he had the best season. You could also make an argument for storyline. 2022 could very well be remembered historically as the rise of Alcaraz. I associate 2005 very closely with Nadal and 2011 very closely with Djokovic. You could make a good argument that 2022 in a similar fashion could be that marker in tennis history for Alcaraz. And in that respect, how could he not be player of the year? Well, I kind of throw that out the window here. This award goes to the most successful player. And to me, that is Rafael Nadal. That was Rafael Nadal in 2022. And it's about majors. He took the lead in the slam race by winning the Australian Open in Roland Garros. And the player who wins the most majors has a huge advantage in this award. When the best few players in the world look back at their seasons, success is very much defined by what happens at the four. And there needs to be a very compelling reason to give it to somebody else when one player won more majors than the others. Big titles, two for Nadal, three for Djokovic, three for Alcaraz. Total titles, four for Nadal, five for Djokovic, five for Alcaraz. So, did Djokovic and Alcaraz have marginally better seasons outside the majors. Yes, they did. They have to have way better seasons outside the majors in order to make a compelling case that the man who won the most majors is not player of the year. If you ask me, would Djokovic take Nadal's season? Would he switch places with Nadal? I think yes. I think yes. Novak would rather have those two majors, plain and simple. You look at the history of this Monday Match Analysis Award. Last year, Djokovic won it running away with the three majors. No questions asked. In 2020, there was a three-way tie for slams one because Wimbledon was off the calendar. That was interesting. Djokovic won it in 2020 because he did best, all things considered. But this is another situation where the player who won the most majors was the player of the year. Now, much like Djokovic was a non-factor in the first half, Nadal was a non-factor in the second half of the year. But because Nadal's domination of the first half included those two majors, his first six months was simply more significant 
than Djokovic's last six months. And looking back on it, there was a head-to-head that the result of this award probably hinged on. And that's that Roland Garros quarterfinal where Novak couldn't do what he did last season where he beat Rafa. In 2022, it was Rafa getting the better of Novak and doing so pretty convincingly. And that likely swung this award in 2022. And man, did Nadal give the tennis world so much narrative oxygen. What a run it was. So many brilliant matches. So many times it looked like Rafa was out. Like Rafa wasn't going to win. So many epic efforts from Nadal in this first half. And uh, it was a thrill ride for Nadal and his fans. And there were challenges this year with the injuries. But I believe that Nadal will look back on this 2022 as far as this unexpected milestone year. Much like a Federer will look back on a 2017 where there was some unexpected success there and the surprise of it all made it that much sweeter. Your 2022 Monday Match Analysis Award for Player of the Year, Rafael Nadal. And with that, it's a close of this award show. I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.